0: Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking
1: about video games and video game music. I'm Mike. And I'm Fallen for Ed. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's very perfect to say something like that because this is episode 69, dudes. Fallen back in time. Yes, this episode is entirely devoted to the early works of Mr. Tim Fallen,
1: VGM composer extraordinaire. yes. So it was our what was it our last time that we did Pixel Chat like three episodes ago? Yeah, I think uh, Nico the Wii Guy asked if we were going to be doing any episodes that featured the older computer systems like the C sixty four, the Spectrum, the Amiga, and we said sixty nine dudes was our, was our clue. So <laughs> right. this is episode sixty nine. It's not a system feature. you know, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but we are featuring the early works of Tim Fallin. Now, I really obviously wanted to do a Tim Fallin episode forever and looking through his backlog and thinking about the songs that I enjoy, there's like almost too much to fit into one show. I agree. So I decided it would be a better idea if we split his career up into stuff that he did before the NES, which is what most people know, NES, Super Nintendo, and Beyond. And so this episode would be, like, literally his the first song he ever wrote mm-hmm. up to the last song that he ever wrote pre-NES. NES. Right, right. So uh, you're going to hear a lot of songs that you've probably never heard before, hear about a lot of games that you've probably never played or even heard of before. Right. So this would be a really informative and, of course, peppered with... Amazing Tim Fallon tracks.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think it's important to dive into the earlier works of a composer such as Tim Fallon because he, he is very... Ahead of his time? Yeah. Ultimately, we wanted to also showcase some games that you've never really heard before, and I think that it's good to get that out early on in a podcast such as this, so we'll get into that in just a bit, but first off, yeah, I am back officially.
2: Hooray! Uh, I do
0: want to thank Brian and Todd for stepping in for me. Definitely appreciate it. Helped me out big time. The wedding was great, had a really fun time, and everything almost went off perfectly, except for like (laughs) a flowers debacle. Yeah. But other than that, it was really cool. As far as like the video game touches because I tried we both tried to put our personalities in the wedding as much as possible but not like so it was too obnoxious yeah so as you said in the previous episode the music during the cocktail hour was all like video game music so our good friends at Two Nerds Geeky Crafts actually did some plaques for us some wooden plaques with video game memorable locations or stages in games like Dr. Wily's Castle Green Hill Zone from Sonic. That's where um, I sat. Yeah, like a bunch of stuff that also Patty really likes in video games, like Spyro. We did Banjo Kazooie, like a bunch of different places, Dracula's Castle. Like we we really tried to make it as varied and unique as possible. Yeah, we did Zebus or Zebs or whatever you want to call it from <laughs> Metroid. So it was really cool, and you know we had a cookie bar. We had you know a lot of really cool personal touches. So it was a lot of fun, really good time. So I wish I could do it every day, but... That would be very expensive. That would be very expensive. <laughs> so, and then we went to Montreal for our honeymoon, and that was a lot of fun. Kind of a short honeymoon, but it was it was cool. Um, it was it was my first time out of the country, and everyone there speaks French. I went to a couple of video game stores. Prices are pretty crazy up there as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially on new stuff. Like, I went to an EB Games which I didn't know that EB Games was still up there. I knew that GameStop bought out EB Games, but it's basically an EB EB Games is basically GameStop now. So that was really cool to see the EB Games logo. Like I was a like throwback, time traveling to 97. <laughs> so, I'm I'm glad that the show was left in capable hands and Ed, if you ever want to, you know, go away on a little adventure of your own someday. I'll get James to sit in
1: that would be fun I'd love to listen to a show like that that'd be
0: very wacky it'd be lots (laughs) of cheese yes yes I'd fly him in we'd just be eating cheese the whole time yeah
1: cheese on the flight yes cheese at home (laughs) (laughs) talking about songs while eating cheese exactly games about cheese
0: yes yes oh that's a good that's a good one yeah so we are definitely kind of backlogged on pixel chat segments so may as well get right into it
1: Absolutely. We've had a lot of cool questions from you guys. I know some of these questions are quite old, like by at least a month or so. Yeah, yeah. Apologies. So if you are listening to this show and you sent a question that long ago, thanks for being patient. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's get on with our first question. This question is from Keyglyph, and she asks... Having just spent a month grinding my way through Bases Loaded 2 with your help, and she said on her show, VGM Jukebox, that she listened to Pixel Tunes Radio through her entire play session, wow. all like 86 games of the Bases Loaded oh, 2 wow. season, That's awesome, which was pretty cool. Yeah, She goes, I'm wondering what games have demanded the biggest investments in time, effort, or dedication from you guys. These could be games that took a ginormous amount of playing time, games that you dabbled with in the past and had been meaning to beat for decades before you finally followed through, or... Or even games that were just a personal struggle to keep chipping away at for one reason or another?
0: Uh, RPGs. Just... Yeah. There's... I I own quite a lot of RPGs and I've gotten through very few of them. You know, the ones from my childhood or my teenage years, I guess you could say, because that's really when I started getting into RPGs. So stuff like Final Fantasy VII, Chrono Trigger, yeah, I've beaten that stuff to death. I've told the Lunar story. You know, in, in previous episodes, basically my brother ruined my save file in Lunar Silver Star Story, so I was never able to go back. And, like, I remember I tried to initially go back and start playing it. I I, I had gotten all the way to the end. Save got erased. And so when I restarted it, I that game is really difficult in the beginning, and you really have to grind, like, yeah. big time. So I just never started it up again. I recently picked up the strategy guide again, so I'm thinking about one of these days sitting through and, pl- and playing through it. Cool. Another one is Xenoblade Chronicles. I really love that game, and I sat down got pretty far, and I got like at least 30 hours in, huh. but then I moved into my previous apartment, and I just never went back and started playing it again, which really sucks because I was so far, and it's like when you're that far in a game and then you come back to it, like, so many years later, you're just like, where did I leave off? And then a lot of the games, they, like, they'll kind of, like, get you back in. Like, they'll tell you a little bit about the story you like, yeah, previously yeah. on, you know, like, that sort of thing. But I just don't know if I could do it. I, I, <laughs> I, I almost want to start from the beginning just to get a sense as to what I forgot. Yeah,
1: I mean, you could also do, like, a playthrough on YouTube not watch the whole thing, but just kind of skip to the cutscenes, or, you know... Sometimes they do videos on YouTube where they only play the cutscenes just to kind of... It would almost be like a last time on Xenoblade Chronicles kind of deal. And then once you get up to the point where you are, then you're kind of refreshed, so... Something you could do rather than having to spend all that time again. Um, Possible. So for me, Mm -hmm. definitely... I mean, this is my answer to almost every question anybody asks me, but the Dynasty Warriors series, huge amounts of content in those games, and I'm not... One to say, okay, I beat the story mode, I'm done. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to go out, I got to collect every character, I got to level every character up, I got to get their level three weapons for every character. I've got to go through the, you know, the extra modes and play every single one and three star or five star whatever, you know, perfect them all. And so the same holds true for Hyrule Warriors. I started playing that game the day it was released. I am still playing that game regularly. Oh, wow. There's just so much content. In it, and yeah. I've got a couple more level three weapons to get. You know, they keep coming out with new maps with DLCs. There's oh, really? the Adventure map, and then there was the terminus map, and then there's like the new game plus map or whatever. Um, I beat the story mode and never went back. Yeah, no, <laughs> the story mode was just the beginning. Beginning, for yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's that, and then Mother Three, too. You know, it, it wasn't one where I was like chipping away with little at a time, but I just I got so into it, mm-hmm. and I was playing. Uh, using an emulator on the PC because I didn't have a you know a translated cartridge to play in my Game Boy right, right. Uh, until very recently. And so it started getting to be were like lunch break at work instead of... I would just Dropbox my save file in my emulator. Mm-hmm. And so I would just at lunch instead of eating lunch with my coworkers, I would just stay at my desk, put in my headphones and play a little more Mother 3 uh, <laughs> on, my, nice, on my work nice. computer and then put it away when I had to go to work and then pick up from where I left off when I was home so it just kind of like became what I was doing for that period of time right. which is why I got so into it. So Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I would say also uh, Project X Zone 2 which I'm wrapping up and uh, I've got almost 30 hours yeah, that's into that. Game. Yeah, so.
1: All right, so she has one more follow up question from Keycliffe. What is a favorite memory that you've had together since you started podcasting? It can be fond, funny, weird, on air, off air, gaming related, or not. Just tell us about your bromance.
0: Oh, I really like the best of PTR because that I, I really like the twist that we did where you picked my songs and I picked your songs. Yeah, that worked
1: out really well. It, it,
0: it was cool because not only were we able to appreciate each other's taste in music, albeit them being very different, but at the same time, I, I think we were able to kind of look back on all the memories and, yeah. and, and things. So it was kind of like, if you're going to pick up an episode to listen to, I would suggest that one because it's, it's a nice place to, to jump off. Yeah, right at the beginning and all the Halloween stuff has always been great
1: and I I think sometimes people that don't listen to every one of our episodes kind of get the impression that we hate everything that the other one always picks and we (laughs) wanted to demonstrate that that's not true right um, exactly. Like, you know, we had we had one, one, one review that kind of, like, said that. And I think all that they did was listen to our fighting game episode. Mm-hmm. we argued a lot during we that did, fighting yeah. game episode. <laughs> both on the music and over the Mortal Kombat Street right. Fighter thing. Which like, I think a lot of it was unjust. We were yeah, being of very course, goofy of course. But it. I don't yeah. think that might come across as somebody who's just picking our show up and right. listening to it. True, so we wanted true. to, you know, demonstrate that we don't hate everything each other picks. Sure. That would be silly. We yeah. wouldn't have a show if that would happen.
0: That is true.
1: You know, one of my favorite memories was... Filming, and this is more of a dude you haven't played this game episode, but okay. it is kind of a bromance answer. But uh, filming the undercover cops, dude you haven't played this game, okay. the role department yep. with Brian, and it was the I think like the first episode I was really in. I think so, yeah. And uh, yeah. and we just we just had we were goofing off. That was a we, lot we of had fun. A, we had enough outtakes to like for you to put together an outtake yeah. episode. Uh, so we just had a ton of fun. Doing that. I remember the Chicken Nuggets. Yeah. And so that that was great. That was a lot of fun. And yeah. uh, and also, yeah, the, the Best of the PTR uh, was great, too, where we picked each other's stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my answer. So, next our, question's on you. Yeah, our
0: next question is from Jeff Leppard, and he asks, Mike and Ed, if VGM were the only music available at your funeral, which songs would you want played and why? I gotta say, probably like half the music from Chrono Trigger like all the really super sad stuff Um, apparently one of the songs that didn't make the cut for the stuff that we played at the cocktail hour of my wedding uh, was the music box song which is often credited as like Chrono and Marl or Chrono and Marley Mm, yes um, which is just basically a music box song yeah and it's very kind of sad and beautiful and somber all in, all rolled into one. It's a really good song. I don't know if it really fit the mood of the cocktail hour. Yeah, you know? well that's the thing. So, <laughs> Patty had to approve all the music just to make sure that it wasn't like obnoxious 8-bit stuff. <laughs> Which, I mean, we love it, but, you know, to right. 60-somethings and 50-somethings they're probably like, no way! That, that's my impression of 60 and 50. That's accurate, again. actually. Yeah, yeah. Rawr. Rawr. So... <laughs> Uh, she was like, "This song's way too sad. Like, you can't play it." Yeah. I was like, "All right, I'll save it for my funeral." Perfect. <laughs> uh, that or the ending song from Chrono Trigger to Far Away Times. That's just such like a super sad song. Yeah. You know, because it's like it's like you've reached the end of a journey, and that's really what death is. It's is a reaching... forlorn song. Yeah. 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 What about you?
1: I would do a montage of every single Game Over theme from every single game I liked. <laughs> okay. And then when they lowered my casket into the ground, mm-hmm. they would play the death theme from Super Mario Brothers. It would just be... Okay. And that would be it, and everybody okay. would go away. Um, another... <laughs> I'll keep it simple. Yeah.
0: Or even like Pac-Man.
2: Just <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> All right. What about our next question?
1: All right. So this is from our pal Daniel Lawton, and he asks... To further Emily's previous question from a previous episode about playing games just for the music, what is a game that you hate playing but love its soundtrack?
0: A lot of the Sunsoft games for the NES that are like insanely hard, but I really, really like the soundtracks like uh, Fester's Quest, Blaster Master. I don't wanna say that I hate the games, but especially with Fester's Quest, when I get to a certain part, like if I die, and you get, be- you get put all the way back to the beginning. I'm just like, nope, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I-, I had my fill, I listened to the soundtrack, and I could usually beat the first boss in that game without dying, and then I pretty much, I tank, and then I'm just like, nope, I'm good. And Blaster Master's just, I really like playing Blaster Master. It's just so brutally difficult.
1: Yeah, for me, Super Adventure Island, I really don't like the game at all. Really? But I'll just pop it in for the Yuzo Koshiro soundtrack. It's a tough game. Yeah, Yeah. but it's not very fun. It's not very... There's not much to it. You run forward... You jump and you shoot some guys. Yeah, It's it's annoyingly, irritatingly difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, just because your character's so big and you got to fit through these tight little spaces with lots of bullets, and eh, it just never really appealed to me. Right. But sometimes I'll just be like, I'll be humming like one of the songs, like dropping into a wall <laughs> pops into my head, and right. I'll be like, oh, I really got to play that game because mm-hmm. I really want to get this music out of my head. So, right, right. You know, that's the only reason that I'll do it. So Word. Yeah. And then he follows up with,
0: sorry if you've already answered this question, before, but I am curious. What soundtrack would you show someone that discounts the quality of VGM in order to convince them why they're wrong? I think Camera asked this question.
1: Something similar to it.
0: Yeah. All the music played at my cocktail hour. You know, like, very rich-sounding stuff. Stuff that, if you listen to outside of a video game you'd be like if you played this for somebody they'd be like oh what's this This is pretty good you're like oh this is video game music super adventure island is is actually another one too like anything that sounds like that like i played that for my now wife and she was just like i was like what do you think of this and she's like it's pretty good and i was like yeah it's video game music you like the gm yeah yeah (laughs) what about
1: you I would tell them to listen to episode 69 of Pixel Tunes Radio, Fallen Back in Time. Okay, then. So that's kind of meta, because well, they're listening to Exactly. Right? Well, yeah, but people who don't like video game music wouldn't be listening to our show, per se. True. So. But, you know, Tim Fallin stuff kind of bridges that gap between prog rock and popular music and video game music. True. Because you can, there's, there are those analogs there. Obviously, we will discuss that quite a bit as we go through this show. But, you know, if you listen to a classic rock radio station... You're going to be able to listen to Tim Fallon's stuff and make very big parallels between right. the tubes. Yeah, so.
0: I think if you understand music, you can do that. I, yeah. I think that if you're listening to video game music, a lot of people get turned off by the bleeps and the bloops. you know, right, the, right. the sounds themselves. And they don't listen to the composition, they listen to the sound. Exactly. And that's, that's the biggest deterrent, and that's the reason why I think... People don't like video game music. If you have a musical backbone or some sort of inkling to want to understand composition, or especially if you're a musician yourself, I think you can find a a deeper and more richer appreciation of video game music.
1: Well, and I think that's why Tim Follin's music is so easily accessible, because right away you can tell that's a guitar, that's a bass, that's drums, you know, that's a keyboard or a piano. Mm -hmm. There's instant associations with each instrument to each channel of whatever system this music is being played through. Right, right. So, well, you say we start off with our first track on, on that Sounds note? Sounds good to me. So this is a really quick track, but it's very historically significant because it is the first song that Tim Fallon ever wrote for a video game. This was released back in 1985 for the ZX Spectrum 48K. It's the title theme from Subterranean Striker, and it uses only the... Spectrum's internal beeper speaker. Let's give it a listen. And welcome back. Probably the shortest track we've ever played on the yeah, show that was before. Quick. <laughs> but that was Subterranean Striker on the ZX Spectrum 48K released in 1985 from Insight. That was the publisher. And that was the title theme music composed by the man of the day, Mr. Tim Fallon. Yay! So obviously, like I said before, that was his first track ever. So let's get a little into the history of Tim Fallon and then we'll kind of follow it up with, you know, how this track... Came to be, why it's kind of significant, even though it sounds very simple and kind of almost banal. Uh, Tim Fallon was born in 1970 in St. Helens, England. He attended only one year of music school. He went to Sandown Music College uh, just for one year, dropped out. He was that awesome. Well, I think it kind of was that. You know how they said, like, Einstein dropped out of or failed his math? courses simply yeah. because he did things differently in his head and mm-hmm. he you know so i think maybe tim Fallon... bill gates didn't go to college right exactly. or he dropped out of college yeah. right exactly it was just one of those things where it was either too boring for them or their method of doing things was different get more efficient and they just couldn't figure out the way to do it mm-hmm. the way that the college or the high school wanted them to do it so he was 15 years old he had you know dropped out of this school his brother, Mike Fallon. So he was the youngest of three brothers. There was Tim, the middle brother, Jeff, and then his eldest brother, Mike Fallen And Jane, his wife. <laughs> Not the Jetsons. <laughs> the Fallen.
2: <laughs>
1: Mike got into programming. He he was hired on at this company called Insight Studios. They were a kind of a fledgling company starting to make games for the ZX Spectrum. So Mike got him hired onto Insight because he knew that he was good with music and and was kind of helping him out with programming and stuff. He composed a few games there, one of which was Subterranean Striker. That was his first game. Mm -hmm. So having the combination of being a close family member with the guy who was programming the game together between Tim's musical skills and Mike's coding skills, they figured out a way to make like a phasing sound. So if you heard the end of this little tune where it just kind of warbled and kind of like phased in and out, the beeper normally wasn't supposed to do that. A beeper mm. was supposed to beep, mm. and so it would mainly be for sound effects. There really wasn't any music in any of these ZX Spectrum games, so they figured out a way to start making this beeper sound like it was either multiple channels or phase in and out. And so he was able to kind of emulate a guitar. Mm. It's kind of like a guitar solo in this track. Yeah, or, a or even like, like a tapping a and fingering towards harps the Harpsichord a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe something like that. This whole track. Feels
0: very classical, yeah. Very like Baroque era. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: When this just, but um, basically just played during the title screen. So when you got into the actual game, it was just beeper sound right. effects.
0: Right, right. Which was pretty common for the ZX Spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So uh, Mike gave Tim a brief tutorial on creating music on the Spectrum using machine code, and so Tim wrote the music driver and the soundtrack for this game. And so that's where his career started off. Uh, An inclusion to this with Insight Studios, he also wrote music for Vectron, Starfirebirds, and Future Games. And each one of those got a little bit more complex, mm-hmm. and uh, the music started getting a little bit more like classic rock era stuff. Although right. he would kind of go back into classical music or chamber music every once in a while too, depending on you know what the game it was. So after those four games with Insight Studios, he kind of started freelancing a little bit. He got uh, hooked up with these guys called the Radical Tubes and they were creating a game that was going to be published by Mastertronic, which was a huge publisher for ZX Spectrum games. They've they've got a whole bunch of games under their name. And so this game was called Chronos, a tapestry of time. It's a horizontal shooter. This came out in 1987 on the ZX Spectrum 48K. And this is the title theme from that game. Let's give it a listen.
0: Welcome back. That was Yes the band. <laughs> no, that was Tim Fallen, uh but the track is called Title. The game is Chronos: A Tapestry of Time on the ZX Spectrum 48K. and That came out in 1987, developed by The Radical Tubes and published by Mastertronic. Very interesting. That was totally progressive rock. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Totally, really rocking stuff.
1: And it uses the same beeper speaker that that first track used. That's incredible. Which is like a one-channel... So, what he's doing, or from what I understand is what he's doing, is using that phasing technique. They are interstitching different tones. Together to make it sound like, because like towards the end there, you've got the bass, Mm -hmm. you've got like the rhythm guitar, and then this lead keyboard line or lead guitar, or however you know, everything's very staticky, so it's hard to make out what instruments are what. Plus, on top of the drums. He's got three tones, then those noise drums, Mm -hmm. and it's all like out of a one channel beeper. It's not even like a sound chip. It's just, they're manipulating waveforms in a way that nobody has ever done before. So, I mean, I just love that it's got this very kind of lo-fi gritty 70s rock oh yeah feel to it
0: if you put this in the background of like any record store like if you played this for anybody at a record store yeah. they'd be like dude this is awesome right, what is right. this and you'd be like
1: oh it's tim Fallon, bro or the uh title credits of like a, a quentin tarantino like throwback yeah film or yeah. something or like, like a that.
0: grindhouse movie yeah, like, yeah yeah
2: yeah
1: one thing that if you're a fan of Tim Fallon, you've come to understand over time is that his music doesn't really fit the games at all. Towards the end, they did a little bit more because I, 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 I think he was getting more feedback from the developers, etc., etc. But I'd say for the first 15, 20 years of his career, the music was the music. Yeah. You know, you would hire Tim on to do a game for you. He would give you the music and say, "That's your music." Yeah, and you would say, "Yes, Mr. Fallen," and you would put that music in your game. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's the thing about
0: his <laughs> stuff. And my experience has mostly been with his Super NES, NES stuff, like most people. But you didn't listen to Tim Fallen music from games with the expectation that what you're playing is what you're seeing. Yes, you listen to it as its own experience. Right, and that's what makes him such a like impressive. Composer, because he could literally know no boundaries when it comes to video game music. I think a lot of early composers for video game music tried to make something that sounded melodic and sounded unique, but also could fit in with what you were seeing in the game. And you didn't
1: really see that with Mr. Fallen. So, games for the ZX Spectrum were released on cassette tape. Right. And the cassette tape would hook up to the unit, and you would basically load the game in via cassette tape. So this particular game appeared on tape two side A of this game compilation called the Sinclair game compilation put out by Sinclair. So it was like one of their first party kind of games. So that's
0: where Chronos, A Tapestry of Time That's where you could find the game, exactly. Right, right. So, as far as Tim goes, he followed his brother to Software Creations, uh, which was a developer which made games like Plock and Spider-Man X-Men Arcade's Revenge and so many more, which we'll talk about in a future episode. And he was hired on in 1987, and that was his first full-time job, believe it or not. Yeah. So, in 1986 in the United Kingdom, Sinclair had released basically like a newer, more powerful machine called the Spectrum 128K. And this is incredibly important to Tim in terms of creating music because it was going to include something called the
1: AY3-8912 sound chip. So that that included um, three square waves. It was a PSG chip. Uh, If you want to learn more about that chip, you can listen to Impulse Project Episode 10. We did a full episode focused on that sound chip. Okay. So that allowed for multi-channel audio rather than just this one kind of beeper speaker that they were working with.
0: So it also allowed for true multi-channel audio, so no more of this, you know, creating everything on one channel, right? And it could also be used in tandem with the beeper audio to have improved, enhanced sound.
1: Exactly. So, let's take a listen to a demonstration of that. So, in 1987, Software Creations created a game called Agent X2. It was published by Mastertronic, and it came out with different soundtracks for both the uh, Spectrum 48K and the 128K. This is the 128K version, which uses the AY chip and the beeper at the same time. Let's take a listen. Welcome back. I hope your headspace is back screwed on correctly <laughs> from that little acid trip there. That was Agent X2. That was the Spectrum 128K version, which used the AY chip and the beeper, uh, created by Tim Fallen, released in 1987, developed by Software Creations, published by Mastertronic. Damn, man. <laughs> oh my goodness. I had no idea. His stuff was so awesome this far back. Right, right. You know, I expected stuff that sounds more like that first track that we played, Subterranean Striker. I expected that quality of music for maybe like the first three years or something, but just the amount of quality that ramped up so quickly with him is like mind-blowing. There's a few things that
0: really kind of came to mind here. First off, it's more of a funk-based track than the previous stuff. I really dug the Sirens Yeah. And the, like, warble effects that kind of come in and out, that stuff was really cool and really impressive. And, I mean, the song itself was great. It was a fantastic, like, prog rock meets, like, funk, psychedelic type of track. Just every instrument kind of shined, and you have this, like, spark when you're listening to this. Like, at the same time, it's also super mellow, so you can Mm -hmm. just kind of, like, chill out and listen to these tracks.
1: Yeah. There's a part about three minutes in where the guitar starts picking up this reverb. It's like he's it's putting effects on these instruments mm-hmm. now, using the beeper speaker. Yeah. Like how advanced is that? It's crazy. Nuts. The song is five minutes long. You don't get tired of listening to it because no. it, it just takes you to different places and speeds up and slows down. And it sounds like he only used one channel on the AY chip, and I, there's that super crunchy mm-hmm. bass line. Right. And he tends to like using that square wave as a bass, even through like the NES. And Mm -hmm. this is kind of where I think that whole concept started. And so that bass line is really thick and then you get these very fuzzy overdriven style guitars and it just all works really, really well. Uh, and, And again, this is the title screen music. It's a five minute long song. There are probably people who have had this game for years and have yeah. never heard this entire song oh, yeah. through. Because it just, just hit start. You hit the fire button and yeah. boom, you're, you're starting the game.
0: That's the thing about Western composers, though, is back then, in the you know late 80s, early 90s, you had a lot of Western composers putting out tracks that were very long, and it was mostly title tracks. And I think yeah. the reason for that is the limitations of the hardware allowed you to pretty much only have music... Or sound effects, like in the case of the Amiga. Right, So they wanted to make something that was long, but also was really just fantastic that you can go back to and really get into and listen. And I think that that carried over for Western composers into the NES and Super NES era. I mean, if you listen to Jim Power from Chris Hulsbeck, I mean, that's a perfect shining example of a title track that's like six minutes long, and it just sounds incredible, so... Yeah,
1: yeah, good stuff. And I, I definitely think that, that was the case with the Spectrum as well, because when you start playing this game, uh, it starts off as kind of like a horizontal shooter. It's very frustrating to play, but you only hear, like, this little do 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 Like, that's the background music. Right, There's right. really nothing to it yeah. at all. So I think he just put everything he could into that title screen music, because that's all you were going to hear in that game that was anything worthwhile um, listening to. So, you know, this... Song also has an alternate version for the 48K. Basically, it's, it's a very similar track, but it doesn't use that AY chip, so you right. don't get that really strong, funky bass to go along with everything. Uh, this game itself you can find on a whole bunch of older compilation tapes, uh, 20 chart busters and 30 red hot hits released by Bojolly Limited. And then Bumper Pack 1, released by Woolworths, this game appeared on as Woolworths. well. Woolworths. Yeah, and then Mastertronic themselves released a compilation called Mega Play 1, and this game was also on. So it was like three or four different tapes that you could find this, this game on. Agent X and Agent X2 were very popular games for the ZX Spectrum. Almost everybody knew about them. It was almost kind of like the mascot of the system.
0: We're not, so. we're not talking in British accents, so the people who are listening to this are are most likely American or people that are not British. So yeah. if we do have any British listeners, we do apologize. This is a system that we don't really have access to. Yeah. So the games themselves, we don't have very that limited much. experience. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we'd love to hear more about experiences. So
1: especially guys that have owned these these systems, systems yeah. you know, back in the past. I know our pal Aaron Hickman has been on. You know, he's been on several. Shows He actually owns one. He's a very big ZX Spectrum enthusiast. So if we ever do end up doing a show specifically on the ZX Spectrum, I think he'd be a great guest host. Good old Aaron. Yep, he's a great guy. So anyways, this game was also released on the C64 in the same year, 1987. And uh, the Commodore 64 had a SID chip, and it was a little bit more powerful. The system itself was a little more powerful. That allowed Tim to be able to write music for the stage levels. So let's take a listen to stage one, the flying section, from Agent X2, and this is the C64 version of the game.
0: Welcome back. That was Agent X2 on the C64, also known as the Commodore 64. 1987 was the year of release. (laughs) Hey, you never know. Somebody might know, might not know. Software Creations is the developer and the publisher was Mastertronic.
1: And that song was called Flying Section by Mr. Tim Fallon. He spent a lot of time with software creations. Yeah, he did. And, uh, you know, I think that they kept him on because obviously he's making stuff like this. Why yes. would you dump him? I mean... Honestly. Sheesh.
0: <sighs> <laughs> the track is impressive, and it also actually does have that flying atmosphere yes. to it. it. It gives you this uplifting but not heroic sound. It's, it's, it's more like you would put this on and listen to it if you were in an airplane. Like, I'm gonna not listen to Brian Eno's music for airports anymore, <laughs> and I'm gonna listen to this track going forward.
1: Yeah, you know, it kind of gave me that feel of like, um, I, I've mentioned this on the show before, but that movie, Koyaanisqatsi, where it's just, um, it's like time-lapse video of everything, of right. very fast moving, like yeah. traffic lights and stuff, and flowers growing, and the sun setting, and the moon rising, and stuff like that. It's kind of gave me that that kind of a feel mm-hmm. as well that beginning and the end of this track where it's like do 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 like that little flute thing, like right. that's literally what the entire song was on the ZX Spectrum version of the game. So I, I don't know if he was just kind of playing tricks with you again where you think, you know, if you're playing the ZX Spectrum game and you go to the Commodore 64 game, you're going to be like, oh, the music is the same, but then that sweeping bass comes in. And then this... Song flows a lot like the title screen music to Solstice on the NES, where yes. like da, da 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 da, and then boom, wow. it just blows you with yeah, all the channels yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So I think he likes doing that a lot, where it makes it sound very <laughs> simple, and then you're like, oh, okay, what am I listening to now? Right. So this game was developed by a gentleman named Andrew Threlfall. He was a graphics designer at Software Creations, and they worked together a whole bunch. They did Sky Shark. Bubble Bobble, This Game Agent X2, LED Storm, Black Lamp, Bionic Commando, Sly Spy, Ghouls and Ghosts. We're gonna be hearing from these games as we go through the show. And then also once they moved over and software creation started doing systems for the eight and 16-bit era computers that us Americans are familiar with and video game systems. They worked together on Thomas and Friends for the NES and Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball for the Super Nintendo.
0: Thomas and Friends like Thomas the Tank Engine? Thomas the Tank Engine. Okay.
1: Yeah, Tim actually wrote a really good rendition of the Thomas theme song for the NES for that game. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's actually pretty
0: cool. Very neat.
1: Yeah, it's not played a lot because not a lot of people even realize. There's a whole bunch of NES games out there, I think, that Tim Fallon worked on that people don't even no realize. No. Like, when I tell people about Pictionary, they're like, what? What are you yeah, talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, well, take a listen to the soundtrack. Yeah, and that's definitely, one of my favorites. Yeah you'll hear what I'm talking about. So, Agent X2 was pretty cool. It starts off as this horizontal shooter where you're kind of um, shooting these patterns of floating objects that come towards you. The bullet that you have is just this little one pixel wide beam. It's very hard to hit, guys. So, you're struggling through that a little bit. Once you finish and beat, like, three mid-bosses, you move on to the next level where it's a side-scrolling action game. So you're this agent, you've got kind of... You almost look like Inspector Gadget a little bit. Mm. And you've got to shoot all the enemies in this little stage, kind of like an elevator action. It's just very tall and narrow. There's a lot of different levels to it, and you jump up and down. And then once you beat enough enemies, you get this three-digit code. Once you get the three-digit code, you have to find this terminal, punch the three-digit code into a terminal and then you go on to the next level. You do that several times, and then it turns into a breakout clone. Hmm. And you see the Mad Professor. So the full title of this is the Agent X2, the Mad Prof is back. And so you're in Agent X1, you were the same character fighting against this Mad Professor who wants to take over the world. Agent X2, he's back. And so he's sitting in the middle of all of these blocks and he's got his own paddle, his own breakout paddle at the top that's going back and forth trying to block your ball. Mm-hmm. And you're controlling the paddle on the bottom and you're trying to get the ball past his paddle to break away all the blocks. So then once you finally get the ball into the little square that he's sitting at in the middle of all the blocks, then that's how you beat the game. So there's a, a good amount of variety to this game, especially for a game that old.
0: So you're trying to put your balls in the square? I'm trying to put In the your, square
1: hole? Trying to put your balls in the Mad Professor.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Mm. And that, then, then you beat it. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. Oh. Okay. It's very interesting. Wow. Sounds like a fun game. It was. It was pretty fun. You know, I played through it on the C sixty four, and the controls a little loose, but it didn't take me too long to get used to it, and I was, um, I had a little bit of fun with it.
0: How does this compare with the ZX Spectrum version?
1: Well, the ZX Spectrum version, I only played the first area, the okay. horizontal shooting area, and yeah, the ZX Spectrum only allowed for six colors. And it's not like I'm talking six colors on screen at once. I'm talking about there was literally only six (laughs) colors. It was a black background, and then you had, like, red, blue, green, cyan, and white. Right. And so those were the only colors that were allowed. Mm. And so the graphics in those games are always very harsh.
0: Right. It's really hard for me to appreciate this stuff. I respect it. Yeah. For what it did for games, but very similar to Atari, my first experience actually was with an Atari. The very first game that I ever played was, I believe, maybe either Frogger or Burger Time okay. on the 2600. Mm-hmm. But then I got an NES and it was all over. Right, I mean, I yeah. just couldn't go back to the that stuff. It's
1: hard when you grow up with an NES yeah. to, to go back further than that. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm fortunate in the fact that I did grow up with the Atari 2600, so I... Well, you're an old guy. Can (laughs) appreciate, it's it's amazing how much difference like five years can make. Yeah, no, true, especially Um, in video games. Right. It's a whole generation. Yeah. So, you know, I'm able to appreciate the old VCS stuff, so it allows me to kind of have a a different frame of reference Mm. for C64 and for ZX Spectrum and and Mm -hmm. games of that era. Right. So, yeah, you know, like I said, with the the Spectrum games, the colors just really got me, because they don't accurately represent the colors of what you're looking at. Right. And you end up seeing backgrounds that are entirely one color and it mm-hmm. gets pretty garish. That's
0: why you can't really hate on kids nowadays for not respecting or at least like getting yeah. into old school games like this or even like the NES Super NES, or right? Because you got to put it, put themselves in your shoes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So,
1: so yeah. I you know. Whatever, yeah. I'm sure there are people that are older than, you know, 40 years old going, well, what do you mean you don't like the ZX Spectrum? Because it's what they grew up on, so yeah. it's what they, their baseline level was for True. video games. So, and, and that's not to say that the games didn't play well on the right. Spectrum, because they were fun. That earlier game that I talked about, Chronos, The Tapestry of Time, we didn't talk too much about the game during that break, but it's a, it's a pretty decent horizontal shooter. There are walls you can break, there are different levels with different, like, tons and tons of enemies particle effects when things blow up. Like it's a decent game. It wouldn't have made a very good NES game. Mm-hmm. It was just that there's only six colors available to use. Right, so right, right. you know. And and also like Mike Fallon created a lot of those games and he was a talented dude. Like that whole family of the Fallons. They just all have very good brains.
0: It's interesting. Western composers typically tend to work I, I notice as, as almost like a family unit in a lot of ways. Yeah. You don't see that as much in in Japanese developers. A lot of Japanese developers they were hiring through like newspapers at the time, or putting out ads, or these very young developers and composers would come from college, come fresh out of college, and just be like, I need a job. And then they would just get a job with the company and work there for years. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very different atmosphere here. I feel like it's more family driven, and I think The Fallen's kind of. You know,
1: embrace that. Yeah, it it was more of a mom and pop project than it was a big corporate project. And that's also a big cultural difference between the UK and Japan. You know, family owned businesses in the UK are huge, corporate owned businesses in Japan are equally as huge. So that's just the different business environment. When we were talking about core design, it was in a house. Right. They were family. You know, they were a working family. House. Exactly. You don't yeah. get that kind of a thing when you work for a company in no. Japan. So, and the, the product that you put out feels different because right. it's not, it might not play as tight Mm-hmm. But it's going to feel more like an art piece than right. it is something that you might get out of True. an and early Japan world. That's a perfect segue into our next game, actually, because the
0: next game we're going to be playing something from is Bionic Commando, yep. which was a Capcom game originally developed, and this game is out for actually for the Atari ST, and it came out in June of 1988, and again, Capcom was the developer of the publisher Go Media Holdings, and the track that we're listening to is called The Castle. By, again, Mr. Tim Fallon.
1: Yep, well, this is an arrangement of Harumi Fujita's original Bionic Commando right. work. But we'll talk about why I'm putting it in the show when we come back. do a show without my favorite composer who wrote a track for my favorite video game of all time, right? (laughs) I mean, seriously. That was Bionic Commando, the Atari ST version. Uh, Came out in 1988, developed by Capcom's UK branch, published by Go Media Holdings, and that was The Castle. And again, written by Tim Fallon on his own. And I I threw this one in because, well, A, for the reason that it's Bionic Commando, obviously, and B, because... Even when he does arrangements, like he makes the song his own. So that whole oh, yeah. last half of the track was his take on the melody that Harumi Fujita wrote for the original arcade version of Bionic Commando. And you might also recognize that from Junko Tamiya's version of the NES Bionic Commando because she also arranged that for the NES as right. well. So this song has multiple iterations of it.
0: Yeah, I think that you can tell that this is Tim fallen because of those arpeggios yeah yeah uh, uh, for sure definitely
1: and the atari st used the ym 2149f chip which is extremely close to that ay chip that the zx spectrum used so it's not like he's composing on a brand new chip or anything he's using something that he's very familiar with already so he just kind of like you know got this game and went to work and Did his stuff The game itself Obviously it's just Just a direct port Of the original Arcade version It's nothing like The NES version For some reason When Mm. they made The NES version They completely Overhauled the game Everything except For the Bionic arm Mechanic That's like the only Thing that stayed
0: You know what they Could have put in A jump no,
1: <laughs> absolutely not. That's the only thing that kills that game They did for that for Bionic Commander Rearm 2 and it ruined the game. Really? It ruined the game. I don't know. I could not play through that game. Not just because of the jump, but because of other stuff. But the the, the, the jump just didn't feel like it belonged. No. There was no reason for it. Alright, alright. All Have right. you
0: played the the new one? The 360
1: one? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, good. it's crap. Is it really? Yeah, I didn't yeah. like it. Mm. I didn't like it at all. It felt like Spider-Man more than it felt like Bionic Commando. You
0: feel like Spider-Man. I do. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> He's pretty buff. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> I enjoyed Bionic Commando soundtrack. I think it's pretty good stuff overall. I'd be interested to hear more of Tim Fallon's music from the game. And I take it that there is more... Oh, yeah. to it than yeah. just this song.
1: The, he also wrote the soundtrack for the Amiga version mm-hmm. as well, or arranged the soundtrack for the Amiga version, and everybody knows about that one, so I just wanted to throw in the Atari ST version because it's, it's a, a version of the soundtrack that not a lot of people are familiar with, but mm-hmm. I think it's it's equally as good as the Amiga version. Was. Yeah, but we got some Amiga
0: stuff coming up. The next game is LED Storm, and this came out on the Amiga in 1988 by Software Creations and the publisher was Capcom. And the track is, again, called Title. And this one's actually by Tim and Mike Fallon.
1: we're back that was LED Storm released in 1988 on the Amiga that was created by Software Creations this is you know continuing Tim's career with Software Creations the original game was developed and published by Capcom and that was in the arcades this is the title screen music and it's interesting if you it's kind of almost contradictory information because if you let the title screen go. This is, you know, it goes through several different screens, like in a track mode. Right. And it has the credits for the game. And under music for the game, it credits Tim and Mike Fallon. However, in interviews with Mike Fallon later on, he says himself that he never created any music for any games. Oh, really? Huh. So perhaps th- what they meant in those credits was that Mike Fallon created the sound driver that Tim Fallon is using oh, maybe. for this game. Okay. And that they were both part of the sound team. And then it just got kind of miscommunicated into music for the header. I have no idea. Yeah, um, it's
0: really tough when it comes to credits, especially in, in Japanese games. It's a little easier in the European stuff because you can actually talk to the developers yeah. and the composers. Yeah. So.
1: There were two different methods that Tim used to create music for the Amiga. And this is using the first older method. It wasn't as fully featured as the later It's called Fallen Player Two, which is what he used to create more of his complex songs that we'll hear from a little bit in the future. This just used what they call a a custom Amiga uh, sound logger or sound tracker. And so the sound is pretty basic, but you're starting to hear a lot more of what his Super Nintendo compositions started to sound like. right? Uh, Especially those kind of sweeping violin pads, you get that exact same sound from Spider-Man and the X-Men in Arcade's Revenge on the Super Nintendo later on.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I would also say that the Amiga sound is very similar to the Super NES's, at least in... Definitely, they're both sample-based. Right, right. And that bass line is, like, right out of something from, like, Spider-Man
1: x Exactly. And it's funny because he worked on these tracks, and then later on, for a good... Two or three years, he would work on the NES, which sounded more like the C64 stuff. Right, and it wasn't until later on that he ended up on back on the Super Nintendo and went back to his Amiga sound for the Super Nintendo stuff. So, kind of like a regression for a little bit when the NES software creations games started coming out. Right, this game it plays like a crazy super souped up version of Spy Hunter on the NES. Top okay. down, scrolls upwards. You're racing cars against other cars in kind of a futuristic environment. It is extremely fast-paced and very frustrating, and uh, you know, just based on the limited amount that I've played this game, I think it's worth having for the music, but not necessarily for the gameplay. True. I know you don't have a lot of experience with it.
0: I do not know. I really dug the song, though. I thought that it had a lot of energy, and it was really fun to listen to, and I really like the part in the song where the bass line gets a little bit more tense. It's like it's like short like staccato notes.
1: Yeah, well it goes like yeah, towards the end. It's like yeah. half time and then full time. And right. half time and then full time and right,
0: it, right. it really jars your
1: attention every yeah. single
0: time it happens. It definitely snapped me back into place and I was like, oh, this is new. Yeah.
1: yeah. And cool.
2: Yeah. Agreed. So
1: yeah, a lot of fun. He's starting to experiment with, you know, different techniques and, and I think being able to use instruments that sound more like what they really were rather than trying to mold waveforms into things that sound like bass and guitar right. probably gave him a little more freedom to, to to focus on composition and not on the technical aspects behind it. One interview I read with him said he was experiencing a huge amount of writer's block when he was tasked to create music for this game mm. and he banged this entire soundtrack out in one night. So wow. this, this, this song that you just heard was him Starting with nothing and ending up with a full song all in the course of one evening.
0: (laughs) Ridiculous. Crazy.
1: Yep. So we're going to stay with more of these Capcom games that um, Software Creations was, was working on for them. Our next track is from Ghouls and Ghosts, and this is the C64 version of that game that came out in 1989. This is the title theme. It starts off really soft. This is almost like a full story in one song, so let's take a listen to it.
0: Welcome back. That was Ghouls and Ghosts for the Commodore 64. The track came out in 1989, developed by Software Creations, and published by US Gold and Capcom. That track was called Title, and that was by Tim
1: Fallon. I feel what like a... I can only talk in whispers <laughs> yeah, right? after hearing that song. What a spooky, spooky song. I have never heard something so atmospheric from a Commodore 64 soundtrack in my whole life. Yeah. I mean... It just it starts off with that that rainstorm and then the dripping water and that creepy baseline and and it sounds like something that like goblin would would make at the beginning Yeah the harpsichord. It's just different instruments come in and out and different parts go here and there and it feels like there's like monsters banging on the door or like walking across the floor. It's like, it's so that was just Steve. Cool. That was just Steve. Oh, hey Steve. Yeah. Hey Steve. <laughs> I want to come in. Nobody's letting me. <laughs> hey, guys, there's ghouls and ghosts in here. <laughs> Help. What's that line from Simpsons? It's cold and there are wolves after me. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... This
0: song, obviously not directly from any other version of, of Ghouls and Ghosts right. or Ghosts and Goblins or anything like that. This is completely original by Tim, and it works. It What I like about it is it's not video game music. It's atmospheric, spooky music for the type of game and it doesn't necessarily fit into any kind of level. yeah. And it it feels more like an experience listening to it than actually like hearing it.
1: Yeah, well yeah, and this was the title screen music. And and the music for this game itself during the gameplay is like kind of upbeat, like doesn't really feel like it's Ghouls and Ghosts at all. The
0: game looks different in many ways. I mean, you've got the core aspect, you still play as Arthur, and you're still trying to rescue Gwendolyn, right? Guinevere. Guinevere. That's right. And the enemies are weird. Like the level that I watched you play through, it there was like this, like Grandma Pig. That's the only <laughs> thing I can I could get out of it. Yeah, I guess it's supposed to be maybe a Minotaur. Yeah, but the you know would be really cool if they played the title music in that first level. I really yeah. think that that would have fit better because you've got that you've got the rain. That's coming down, and the rain was very visually impressive for even back in the day. Yeah, and you know you're walking through as Arthur, which it, his run cycle is so goofy. Yeah, it's
1: very marchy. Yeah, and like
0: hi, I'm running. Arms are just going up yeah. above his head as yeah, he's walking. Yeah.
1: <laughs> in interviews that I've I've read with Tim Fallon, he he's always believed that music should tell a story on its own, games should tell a story on their own, but you shouldn't combine the two. He's just kind of a weird. Not a weird philosophy, but a different philosophy. Mm-hmm. And that the music is just supposed to be kind of background to whatever's going on right. in the game. The to music should the just be music. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when he wanted to tell this story with this song, that he didn't want the game getting in the way of that story. And mm-hmm. vice versa. When there's story going on in the game, he doesn't right. want his music to get in the way of right. the game. So that kind of brings me to this person that I wanted to talk about. His name is Stephen Ruddy. And if you are a fan of Tim Fallon, then his name might sound very familiar. They worked very, very closely while they were at Software Creations. Steve Ruddy was an amazing programmer. And actually, he's still in the game industry to this day. Oh, yeah. But he coded all of this game. This was his last C64 title, mm-hmm. Ghouls and Ghosts. He also worked on Black Lamp Bubble Bobble C64, which is praised as being like one of the best arcade to C64 conversions in the library Hmm. he did the c64 version of bionic commando and led storm he also created the sound drivers that tim fallin used for the c64 and then later on for the nes Hmm. so i I read a couple interviews with him and and there's a couple quotes that he he always enjoyed working with tim he was hilarious to work with in the when a while they were working at software creations together and he basically told steven what he wanted to do in, with his music, what he wanted the music driver to be like. And Stephen basically just coded it for him, basically put in the features that Tim requested. So the driver was built specifically to Tim's specifications. It wasn't like, he here's what I came up with, Tim, do your best. It was <laughs> like, what do you want? I will right. give it to you. You know, Ruddy was a fantastic coder and obviously doing all these games by himself or with a team of only two or three people under him, Mm -hmm. you know, he was able to get things really, really done. There's a quote about this particular track that I read. And uh, so Ruddy says, Tim's music as always was astonishing for me. Having programmed the music driver with Tim's design input, I had no idea how he made it do what it did. I remember the first time I heard the title tune with Tim explaining and miming the story to go along with it. The rain, the dungeon, the screams, the heartbeat, and the last breath. It was quality. So, you know... Tim is playing this music for for Ruddy, and he's like basically telling him the story of the song as Mm -hmm. the song is playing in the background. Like, I wish I was a fly on the wall when I, Mm. you know, when that happened, because that that would be really, really awesome. I'd love to hear him like narrate this story as this song plays. If only you were a little bit older and British. Yeah, born at the wrong time. Yeah, in the wrong place. Bummer.
0: So I mean, I enjoy Ghouls and Ghosts games. Actually, I just picked up Ultimate Ghouls and Ghosts on the PSP.
2: Yeah, that's so, a good. That's yeah. a very good game.
0: But this this game, this version of the game, just plays and looks and sounds completely different. It's like a totally different experience.
1: Most Commodore sixty four games were, you know, For they just, ports, right? And 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 it was also essentially they were uh, Western developers' take on a Japanese game developers. Game. Mm-hmm. They weren't working side by side. It wasn't here. Make a mirror image. It w- sometimes it wouldn't even give them the code. It right. was like here, make a game that looks and like kind this. of feels like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it it's not going to be a direct port. Mm. And it never was. Mm-hmm. And so they I guess they kind of tried to make games that they felt would appeal to the C64 audience, but using the assets and properties of you know the game that came before it
0: you know it's interesting to think about the way that things were back then for the video game industry i mean you had the u.s and and japan markets were basically the same for the most part i mean you had arcades they were big they were huge Mm. back then and you had the nes just slowly starting to come out around this time it was out but like It it didn't really become, like, a phenomenon until, like, I'd say Mario 3. Like, that's when everyone owned an NES. And so kids were still going to the arcades. They were experiencing games like Ghouls and Ghosts in the arcades, Ghosts and Goblins, whatever. And then you had the Japanese market, which was, like, totally arcades. Like, there were giant arcades and amusement places that you can go and play. And games were very social. And I'd say the American and and Japanese markets were very similar, but the UK market was a little different, because there was the crash that happened, and after the crash, computer systems were like the focus. Right, right. It wasn't consoles, it wasn't arcades, and, and it was more just like kids getting these computers that their parents would buy them or whatever, and they would just like play these games on these computer systems and the computer systems were mostly designed for in in like
1: there was games in mind
0: but it wasn't the focus right of the system. it was supposed to be like a computer yeah. and yet kids were learning how to program and like all the top like Western programmers that were coming out with these games with these kids and these like teenagers that were like, Learning how to program and create this content on their own. Exactly. And then later on, that's when you get like the Tim Follins, the Chris Holzbecks, like
1: the, the Because they trained themselves, right. they had a natural aptitude for it, they were interested in exactly. it. That's how Mike Fallon started with his career. Mm-hmm. And I don't think American kids really had as much of an opportunity for no. that. You know, you would have to go to coding school or have mm-hmm. somebody teach you. Computers were completely different. You were using DOS, you were using Windows. Right. There Not was, a
0: lot of com- people in the U.S. back then owned computers.
1: Yeah, that too. And there was also, you know, there were Commodore 64s in the U.S. Right. They were nowhere near as widely spread out as right. it was in the U.K. Yeah. And there wasn't a community built around it. Exactly. We, we didn't have those magazines that you can go on the shelf that came with demo discs mm-hmm. or that taught you how to code. Right. You know, they we would have to import them. And I remember right. them being like 10 15 $20 to get these magazines mm-hmm. that were published in the U.K., and then mailed, you know, shipped over here for us to buy. So you know it what was it is? a lot more exclusionary.
0: I would say that the U.S. and Japanese markets were more consumer-based. exactly, And the U.K. market was more developer-based. Community-based, Yes, yeah. community-based, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's interesting.
1: And that's how these games came about. Indeed. Yep. So let's
0: move on to our next game. This is Kix? 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 Q I
1: X Pronounced
0: Pronounce like the serial name. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or like Ninjas
0: doing kicks oh yeah, yeah. sure <laughs> the game came out on the Amiga in 1989 developed by Alien Technology Group and published by Taito who we had a full episode I don't on... know anything about Taito no definitely not the track is called High Score and again by Mr. Tim Fallen. Welcome back, that was Kix, (laughs) child-tested, (laughs) mother-approved. Not the cereal. Not the cereal. The game came out on the Amiga in 1989 by Alien Technology Group and the publisher Taito. And that track was High Score by Tim Fallon.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Tim kind of like ended up doing a lot of games for Capcom and then ends up doing like a couple games in a row for Taito. Hmm. Kind of jumping around from Japanese developer, a Japanese developer. Alien technology, but I couldn't really get much info on. It's obviously not software creations, although right. he did work with software creations after this game, so I don't know if he just kind of freelanced, freelanced with them a little
0: bit. most likely.
1: Um, or if they were an offshoot of software creations. No clue. <laughs> this um, track. It's like Chord City.
0: I'm, one. I'm, 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 like, waiting for a 70s announcer to come on and just be like, we'll be right back after these <laughs> messages. Like... Yeah. It, and he's it, taken those influences
1: obviously very far oh, in this one. Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, it's just it's such it's interesting because it, it's pretty clear that he's a fan of progressive rock. But it's it's also pretty apparent that he grew up during a time when the 70s like that Style of music just like really influenced him as a composer. Of course, yeah, yeah. So like it, it's pretty clear that he really digs this stuff because he puts it in every game.
1: Yep, yep. That's just his style, you know. Yep. And, and he can do other stuff too. It's just that he, I think, he only does it if he's requested to do it. Yeah. And if the developers like do whatever you want, he's like, okay, seventies prog. Right.
0: Yeah. That's that's pretty much what I would say. I mean, like a lot of the composers that we listen to on this show, they. They compose music that they think would be a good fit for the game. And I don't think Tim does that. I don't think that Tim's ever asked to do that either. And I can't think of any other composers that that rings true to. You
1: know, sometimes like Matt Furness. Matt Furness, I
0: was going to say Matt Furness, yeah.
1: A lot of of those UK guys that had kind of bigger names, I think were given a little more freedom to create music that they wanted to rather than music that would... Fit the game because mm-hmm. they were just so good that people didn't mind. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, this doesn't really fit the theme of the game, but it's, it's so good anyway. Right? Like, who Cares. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're just doing their stuff, and yeah. and I, you know, I think that's cool. That's cool. I think it's cool. Cool. Um, you know, with Kicks, I don't know if you ever played Kicks before, but there's also only in my bowl of cereal. Right. <laughs> there was also an NES game based on the the title as well. That's right. There's a, yes. There's a big flippy kind of shape in the screen. Right. And you've got to box it in drawing squares on the screen and the mm-hmm. as you as you kind of limit the And so while you're drawing these horizontal lines to make squares, if the shape intercepts your line before you create the square, then you lose a life or you lose time or whatever penalty you get for that particular level
0: this kind of game was very popular in japan and there were a lot of clones of this that were like hentai like sexy yeah you would unlock pictures of girls as you right like naked girls right right
1: i remember there was a Man, it was an Atari 2600 game called Amadar. You have to basically paint squares on the screen, right. and enemies would be chasing your paint roller, and so it's very similar to mm-hmm. this this style of game. Word. This was the high score theme. The rest of the soundtrack for this game is all like 20, 30 second little stingers, like, hey, you beat the level, or hey, you know. You, you did it. The next level. Yeah, like, right, you right. did it kind of stingers. And this is the only real track that has kind of any sort of length to it. And I like how it starts off kind of slow, and then you get that kind of ramping up, like, brrrr, and then those solos kick in, and then that random flute comes in out of nowhere. Right, right. It's a fun track. It's yeah. just, it's laid back. It's easy to listen to. It's something that you'd like, probably not want to rush taking your, you know, putting your initials in. Just yeah. kind of chilling out and listening to it.
0: And, right. And having some fun. Very similar to Pictionary, I would say. Yeah, in that aspect. totally. Yeah, cool. So,
1: so let's move on to our next one. This one is the first Amiga game to use the Fallen Player 2 tracker. And you're gonna see kind of a big difference in quality with this track. This one is Sly Spy Secret Agent. This came out in 1989, developed by Software Creations for the Amiga. And this was also composed, uh, co-composed by Tim's brother, Jeff Fallin.
0: back. That was Sly Spy Secret Agent. The game came out on the Amiga in 1989, developed, and published by Software Creations. The track was called Stage Theme 1, and it was by Tim Fallon and his brother Jeff Fallon. Now
1: that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. That's that's where you see the Fallon sound evolve into what it is today. Just that groovy disco sound. Lots of really cool sweeping violins. It's got like got a funk this vibe is... to it. This is Spider-Man, X-Men, Arcade's Revenge, like all over.
0: So I really (laughs) dig. It was funny because we're listening to the track before the break, and that little section where like the samba, like cowbell starts playing, (laughs) and 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 I both are
1: just like, sure, why not? Each other simultaneously. We're like, yeah, why not? Whatever. Yeah, just kind of drives home my point that composer like Tim Fallon, he'll just throw stuff in. People won't say no. no. I mean,
0: whatever. And it fits, though. It, it does fit with that funk vibe that the track is going for.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you can definitely see like Neil Peart sitting there with the yep. cowbell just slamming away, and then mm-hmm. the song goes into the loop right after that i love like the bass line starts up and then those like chuggy electric guitars like go right in harmony with it right at the same time just right. beefs the song up and then that drum beat just chugging along it, the whole thing just melts in the one awesome
0: it, it sounds really full too yeah. it's a very full sounding track and most of these tracks have sounded very kind of like faded quiet kind of i don't want to say it's ambient, hardware, but hardware yeah you know
1: and it's 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 their earlier songs on older hardware it was really hard to make very rich very full sounds with the limited trackers and composing tools that you had and so this like i said before was the first song to use a tracker that was specifically made for for tim and and jeff right. by their brother and so it, again it's a family affair they knew exactly their skills And so you end up with something that's specifically built for making awesome music, and awesome music was made. It's a family affair. Yeah, I find that, like with the Wolverine on the NES soundtrack, and some of the other soundtracks that both Tim and Jeff have worked on, you get more of a disco feel. I think maybe Jeff might be in a little bit into the... More into like disco music. Okay. And then Tim is kind of like into the prog rock music. And that so makes when, sense. They, when they compose together, you get kind of a combination of that. Because Plock has a lot of disco stuff. Yeah. Too. And that was mostly Jeff with a little bit of Tim. Mm-hmm. So it's just stuff that I've figured out along the way. Tell me
0: about other stuff that you figured out along the way.
1: Well, three Amiga games used that Fallen Tracker 2 format. Mm-hmm. And that was Ghouls and Ghosts on the Amiga, Sly Spy, which is this song, and Puznik, which we'll be hearing from. A little bit later in the show. Cool. Those are things that I found out along the way. Nice. So you're you're literally hearing like all three Fallons work in this in this track, which I think is really cool. Because later on, you know, with the NES, Super Nintendo, I don't think Mike Fallon worked on any of that stuff very much. So you're not getting like all three brothers kind of in tandem together. So mm-hmm. I, I like this is this is how this went. Slice by as a game uh, again originally. An arcade game by Taito, and it's actually a really good game. You kind of have a cross between like some shoot 'em up levels where you're swimming in like a scuba suit. It's kind of like a horizontal shooter. There's some side-scrolling shooting levels that kind of remind me a lot of Rolling Thunder, and there's some like parachuting levels where you're falling through the sky and having to shoot guys that come left and right. And- Rolling Thunder also
0: feels very much like Elevator Action. Yes. Which, which also, is my title. oh yeah, mm-hmm. so
1: ding ding ding, it all kind of goes together. But yeah, this, this game was fun to play. I played through the first few levels of it and had a lot of fun. And of course, the soundtrack definitely adds to the to the flavor. This is very sure. spy feeling, especially with that bass line that comes in at first. And then there are some other songs that come in later in the game, which are like directly out of James Bond films. Right. They sound very much like it.
0: Yeah. Fits with the whole slice by Secret Agent feel to it. Exactly.
1: Yeah, cool. All right, want to move on to our next track? Absolutely. Okay, we're heading back to the C64 for a little bit. So Mastertronic was bought by Virgin, and this was one of the first games they released um, as a conglomerate. This is Magic Johnson's Basketball, the title screen music, written again by Tim Fallon.
0: Welcome back, that was Magic Johnson's Basketball, which is apparently a thing Commodore 64 (laughs) 1989 was the year of release by Virgin Mastertronic
1: There was actually two Magic Johnson basketball games Oh yeah? Well there's Magic Johnson's I've heard this called Magic Johnson's Basketball and Magic Johnson's MVP Basketball, mm. but then there was also Magic Johnson's Fast Break, which had an NES oh, version yes. as well. I remember that one. And actually, Tim Fallon wrote the soundtrack to those games as well. He's so. a big
0: Magic Johnson fan.
1: I guess. <laughs> at least in the fact that he was getting paid money for games that he was starring in, so right. he didn't have anything against him. Yeah. I like this track a lot. I like that phased, kind of almost feedback-sounding yeah. breakdown in the middle.
0: Uh-oh. That one. It starts off. Yeah,
1: like, yeah. I, I've heard, you know, doing Impulse Project, I've heard a lot of Commodore 64 music and a lot of the demo scene music and a lot of stuff that kind of approximates rock and guitar. And I've heard some good stuff, but nothing dating as far back as 1989. Right. Like, this is ahead of its time as far as, like, that's kind of sound goes and how yeah. you can manipulate that, 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 use that pulse width modulation to really make it sound like a real... Feedback guitar.
0: Well, that's the thing is he allowed himself the opportunity to experiment then with what developers and fans later experimented with like way later on. So like you would hear... Right. So the stuff that you're playing on Impulse Project... It's all done by people who had the system for years and years and years, and the system had been out, and people had been detailing, okay, you could do this, you could do right. that. creating new exactly.
1: drivers and creating new ways to make music for right. it.
0: Right, and so the fact that something like this came out way back in 1989 shows the testament of brilliance that is... Tim Fallon.
1: You got it. Word. That's why we're here today. It's true. Talking about this guy. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) The graphics in this game were done by a gentleman called Chris Collins, and he and Tim worked together for a couple of different games as well. He did this game and the next game that we're going to hear from, which is Puznik. This game, it, it looks a lot like that really generic game that was just called Basketball on the Sega Master System. Right. Very kind of rounded Nondescript characters, the cord only takes up like half the screen, and there's like a lot of information on the bottom. Control is absolutely horrible. Oh, yeah. You need to use either the keyboard, or if you're trying to use the joystick, then God help you, because it just, <laughs> it doesn't do anything. You can use anything. a Genesis controller. Only in some games, okay. I think. I'm not 100% sure. Hmm. Yeah. It'd be really so, funny
0: if all the players were Magic Johnson. That would be funny. <laughs> but
1: from, from the videos I've seen, I haven't actually played the game. From the videos I've seen, it looks like all the players are white. So, none okay of them then, are Magic Johnson. <laughs> wow, okay then. Maybe it's like Magic
0: Johnson is holding a tournament, like a basketball tournament, and for his, he's like the king of basketball in this fantasy that I'm creating on the fly. I see, go on. And he crafts this tournament and he fills it with only white basketball players, but they're white basketball players. From like the beginning of basketball time. So you have History's like
1: best yeah, basketball players. Exactly, okay. right.
0: And so he's gathered all of them up, including Larry Bird, to play of basketball. Gotta yeah. have Larry Bird. Oh, of course. And Wayne Gretzky's in there too.
1: <laughs> For no particular For reason. For no reason at all. And evil Knievel.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> Stunt basketball. <laughs> Anyhow That's so how
0: NBA Jam got created, true story. Evil Knievel? Evil they they were gonna call it Evil Knievel basketball. <laughs> <laughs> but they just couldn't get the license. Understand
1: People Can Evil
0: wanted too much money, so, so they, they were they just like, they "Decided get to it. license
1: the entire NBA." Instead, yeah,
0: they were just like NBA Jam. Can comes very expensive. It's true. Hey, he does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyhow, what was your take on this on the, on the track itself?
0: It was good. Much like most of these tracks, though, my big
1: problem is that they're
0: too subdued.
1: Hmm. They're too quiet, and it's hard to make a really raunchy rock on a C sixty four. I mean, you get those tones and that tones. You know, that's what you work with. So,
0: I I I think the furthest that I could go back. You're looking as for like goes. more of a chuggy metal kind of song. No, or? it's not the type of music that I have a problem with. It's the sound of the systems. It's
1: not punchy enough.
0: It, it's not punchy enough. It's very kind of floaty and it's it's very like ethereal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that is style too. And it. it's not bad. I'm not saying that it's bad. It's just what I'm I, I feel like what I'm looking for and what type of music that I really enjoy is the the as you said, like punchy, heavy, gritty, but also like I like really light-hearted stuff. I just don't like sounds or music that sound very. That's why, like, perfect example is the Master System. I, I really dig a lot of the compositions on the Master System, but man, they just sound so like weak, yeah, and and floaty and happy and thin, poofy and it's funny because a lot of people think the Master and System sounds
1: sad. Yeah, really? Cuz everything's like kind of in a minor key, Yeah, so yeah. Which I dig
0: minor. It's in a high key. range,
1: yeah. but it's forlorn sounding. I, I we're getting a little off topic here. Yeah. But but in in, in terms of How different systems sound I guess Yes Yeah the point I'm trying to make Different sound hardware Kind of evokes Different emotions in you Regardless of the composer And the song It's just those particular tones Give you a certain feeling Yeah You're not not, The feeling that you're getting From Commodore 64 Isn't what you're looking for in, in, In general music
0: Yeah and also And this is not to knock Tim Fallon Because I think he's A fantastic composer But most of the music Video game music specifically That I really enjoy Is the punchy Dirty, gritty, action-based yeah. games that came out on the NES because that's the stuff that I grew up with. Yeah, so that's the stuff that I most mostly relate to. And uh, you know, there's been some really excellent music in this podcast so far, but a lot of it feels very. And again, I'm, I'm trying to choose my words very carefully, but I would say like weak sounding, but only due to the the nature of the hardware. Yeah. I don't blame Tim Fallen at all for this. In fact, I, I praise him because he's managed to create such fantastic compositions on such archaic hardware. So, well said. Yes.
1: Very well said. Yes. Alright, wanna move on to an Amiga track instead then? I do, yes. All I right. do
0: dig some Amiga. So this is from Puznik. Came out in the Amiga in nineteen ninety by Software Creations and published by Ocean. The track is called again Title. It's a title themes by Tim Fallen.
1: that was Mr. Fallen bringing the funk with Puznik. That was the title theme of the game. And I think what makes Tim Fallen unique, or one of the things that makes him unique among a lot of other composers, especially in the UK, is that he didn't start off in the demo scene his first work ever was for a, game. a video game. And right, he right. stayed that way. Yeah. And you know, Rob Hubbard and then and, and uh, a lot of the other guys, Ben Daglish, you know, they uh, they all started off in the demo scene. They, they Your own tell. Yeah, right. they all submitted tapes to companies or joined up with companies after they had a portfolio and, and lots of public releases. But, you know, again, with Mike Fallen and family, he just kind of got into the ground level and started doing it. My point is, is that I think if Tim Fallon were to have had released music for the demo scene, it would sound like this. Okay. Cuz this is this is that funky Solo-driven, very Amiga demo scene sounding kind of a song.
0: This sounds like a secret NBA Jam track. (laughs) Yeah. This is like the Choose Your Characters track. Yeah, And then like NBA Jam Super TE. Yeah. That never came out.
2: (laughs) 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 NBA Jam for the
1: Amiga. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: That only exists (laughs) in
0: my mind. No, I, I really actually, this is one of my favorite tracks from the show so far that we've done. I mean, the rest of the tracks were also really cool, but I really dig the like like 90s slash like late 80s take on funk. Yes, for sure. And so even though the synths are really warm, really like bright sounding, at the same time you've you've got this like awesome bass. Like that bass line is just like really sly, really slick sounding.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed that part. I enjoyed just the 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 cool solos, the fact that you know, that snare was super, super loud, and just that grindy kind of bono, 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 You know, yeah. you can still hear it in your head even after you listen to it. That's it's right. just there and, and chugging along. Just and... eternally
0: picking characters. Exactly. <laughs> in a fictitious basketball game exactly. that doesn't exist.
1: So, this was another game that was based on a Taito arcade game. And you know, these games are not arrangements. Tim Tim wrote his own soundtracks right. for all of these games. I think Bionic Commando, I think, was the only track that we've played where it was actually an arrangement of an older track. Right, that sounds the most faithful to the original. Yeah. Also it used the Fallen Player 2 like Sly Spy did before. Chris Collins also did the graphics for this, which was interesting. Because the Magic Johnson's basketball was created by Virgin Mastertronic. They developed mm-hmm. it. And so Pusnik was developed by Software Creations. Two of the same members, but mm. working for two different companies making video games. Like, I don't know if they, sh- if Software Creations and Virgin shared people if they were closely related Possibly. like why that why that happened is only a year apart from each other too so you know i'm not sure what the relationship was between between virgin and software creations but kind of an interesting little coincidence i found that the graphics were done by the same guy and music were done by the same guy from two different companies and two different games a year apart
0: yeah and if you're more familiar with the backstories behind Virgin Mastertronic and how they relate to software creation. Shoot us an email at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com. Let us know and we'll, you know, maybe fill in the blanks at a later
1: episode. Absolutely. That would be really cool. All right, let's move on to our last track of the day, which is fitting because this is also... Tim Follin's last Amiga game um, and his last game for any of the UK-based computer systems before he started exclusively moving on to NES Super Nintendo and the systems Moved to Japan. Yeah. Became a rock superstar. Exactly. Big house. Large. Large. Big cars. Got a bionic arm. Yeah, yeah. Etc. Etc. Yeah, yeah. None of that makes any sense. No. Anyhow, so let's listen to Gauntlet <laughs> 3. Uh, this was released on the Amiga in 1991, again developed by Software Creations and published by U.S. Gold. Uh, this is Tune 1, again by Tim Fallon.
0: Welcome back. That was our final track of the Fallen Back in Time episode. That game was Gauntlet 3 on the Amiga, and that came out in 1991, developed by Software Creations and published by US Gold. The track was Tune 1, and that was by Mr. Tim Fallen.
1: Yeah, this is the first track that plays during the actual gameplay portion of the game. That snare, man, that is so incredible. The
0: drums are really yeah. just fantastic here. I mean, it sounds like a real kit. Yeah. It yeah. really does. Yeah, the snare and the all of the drums sound fantastic here.
1: Two things I thought when I was listening to this track was A, he's really channeling Led Zeppelin, got some, <laughs> some, some John Bonham stuff going right, on there. Right, definitely. And B, when are the Kid Rock vocals gonna kick in? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, really like the super nintendo guitar i'm just going to yeah. call it that just because yeah. that's what it is to me no it's um, a good sample yeah no I mean, it's, you, it's hear, you hear
1: a lot of that kind of sound going into like rock and roll racing and spider-man x-men and arcade revenge on the super nintendo he used a lot of these same samples on his super nintendo games, so they will sound very familiar to those who are more familiar with his snes works right yeah the rhythm section
0: here is really tight i mean it's got a good groove to it once the kind of like ethereal, spacey stuff kind of kicks in. It, it, it sounds different enough that your ears kind of perk up like, what, what, what just happened? Yeah, you know? yeah.
1: And then going back towards what we talked about earlier in the show about how Fallen's music doesn't always fit the game. You know, with this one is interesting because you start the game, there's like eight different characters to choose from, so my playthrough I like, I chose the Barbarian. And so I'm throwing axes at all these ghosts and, you know, the, the game is very similar to your standard gauntlet formula. Right. Except it's more of like in an isometric kind of perspective now. And uh, so, you know, those keyboards came in like, ooh, and floating around and everything, and then you get those little, like, hi-hats and, and that those bass riffs. I'm like, okay, this is cool. It still kind of feels like the game. And then the guitar and the snare drum come in, and I'm like, this doesn't feel like Gauntlet at all anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really interesting.
0: This is one of those rare circumstances where I would say that the gameplay should match the music, just because, you know, you hearing, like, 70s prog rock mixed with, like, Gauntlet, like yeah. a hack and slash... It, when I play games like this, like games like King of Dragons or Knights at Around, or, you know, those type of beat-em-ups, you know, this is more of a hack-and-slash, but still, it doesn't fill me with the same, like, feelings it, that it I would adds get. adds to the atmosphere of the it, game. It does, yeah. and it, I'm just saying that it, it may not add to it 100% the right way, necessarily. It's great music, good stuff, but very similar to other games that he's done, like, his big focus is I'm not going to do music based on what should fit, I'm gonna do just awesome music. And he does. One really interesting note about Gauntlet 3 is that some of the characters that you play as kinda take on more like, I guess you could say, like, elemental? Like
1: yeah, there's yeah. a ton of characters. I think there's eight characters you can choose from. So they all have their different powers and strengths yeah. and weaknesses.
0: Like you play as like a rock guy, like a lizard guy. A oh, um, man's in this. Yeah, rockman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like a merman guy or like mermaid. Merman. Mer dude.
1: Merman.
0: An Iceman, So, but not the Iceman. So it's not. It's not the second Tim Fall X Men game. Right. Yeah. You can't play as. Iceman from X-Men you also can't play as Iceman from Top Gun. So it's an icy dude. Yeah, icy dude. More or less. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just chose the Barbarian because he was on the top of the screen. He was the most familiar to me. I'm like, I just want to get that kind of gauntlet experience going on. And I played through a bit of it. You know, it's very brown. There's not (laughs) a lot of variation in the color palette at least from from what I played through, but it's playable. I mean, it's easy to tell even though it's isometric and there aren't really shadows underneath the guys. It's it's easy to line yourself up with the ghosts and the the monsters and stuff and uh you know it it was pretty easy to get through for the most part i can imagine that once you start going through even further that it's going to get more and more complex but there's also a multiplayer mode so you can go through with a friend and
0: kick ghostly butts that's what she said well you had me until ghostly butts
1: and just a fitting end for his last foray because it just kind of like the way that that draws out. It's kind of like you know I'm leaving you, but there's more. It's like remember me. Yes, I'm Tim Fallin. I'll be back on the Nintendo console. Tim Fallin, Fallin. I'll try to make Fallen. a Genesis game, but they'll cancel it, and it's- nobody will hear the music <laughs> for another decade and a half. <laughs> Um, half, so, half, Exactly. <laughs> so talking you know, into the future, Tim Fallon stayed with Software Creations, ended up creating a lot of amazing games for the NES, the Super Nintendo, moving into live Redbook audio on the Sega CD, um, creating the amazing Echo soundtrack for the Dreamcast. You know, his career obviously didn't stop here. He only got bigger and bigger, and his soundtracks got... I wouldn't say they got better. They got closer to what I think he was envisioning. You know, with the the advent of unlimited memory capabilities and and Redbook audio and streaming audio, he was able to get away from chip-based music, which he's said in the past that he was not a fan composing for it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so he could really kind of let his uh, imagination soar. And so when we get around to Tim Fallon volume two, which will probably be sooner than later, we'll get to explore a lot of the music that he was able to create without limitations.
0: Right. Cool. Well, that's Tim Fallon in a nutshell. Yeah. Good
1: stuff. We'd love to hear what you guys thought. Are there any tracks that you were surprised about? You know, I, I, I'm i curious to hear what you guys think about his progression from that little tiny, you know, beeper music at the beginning of right. the track. You know, culminating in, like, awesome demo scene style music for Puznick and, and, and Gauntlet 3 and, and how he was able to do that only in the span of, like, six years. Mm-hmm. It's, like, really crazy.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So, what's next on the PTR agenda?
0: Well, we have a milestone episode coming up Episode 70 70, So that means it's going to be free picks And I know we always try to go all out when it comes to picking tracks, so you're going to hear a bunch of really cool stuff from us.
1: Exactly And then we've got another composer spotlight coming up after that We've decided to trade off with our favorite composers, so we've got a a very special episode coming up for episode 71 Episode 71
0: will be featuring an entire higher episode on the work of iku mizutani my favorite composer and we were lucky enough to secure, which hopefully this actually does happen, an interview with Ikumizutani. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And I know you've been wanting to do this one for uh, quite a while, this Tim Fallon. I was episode. nervous
1: about this yeah? episode. were you? Well, I felt like, you know, this was something that I hold very near and dear to me. So I was anxious that, you know, well, what if it didn't end up good? You right, know, what right. if what if I failed Mr. Fallon? You know, <laughs> like I would be letting myself down and letting him down.
0: You're going to have like... If you've ever seen that episode of Batman, the animated series, the one where Bruce has like all these like really terrible dreams about his father, and his father's <laughs> like you failed me. Ah, uh, yes. That's what's gonna happen to you. Tim Fallon's yes. just gonna be visiting your nightmares and be like you have failed me.
1: No, I think we I think we had a very good selection of tracks that showed off his talents and then the the myriad number of different genres he can compose in and and sounds that he can create with systems that weren't able to create those sounds until he got his hands on them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very happy with the way that this playlist came out and the way this episode came out. So I hope you guys like it too. Head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Pixel Tunes Radio you will find uh, this show posted there. You can comment, like, and just give us a little review of what you thought about the show. If you have other favorite Tim Fallon uh, songs from this era, I'd like to keep it to this era because I don't want right. to post too many songs from the continuing era because we, we're yet to play those We're going to get to that, right. So, C64 era, stuff like that. Share your favorite stuff. Maybe we'll share some extra stuff in, in, the, in the Facebook group as well. You can always catch us at... Pixel Tunes Radio on Twitter or at Pixel Tunes Radio on Instagram.
0: That's right. Also, check us out on YouTube.com forward slash Dongled. And there you can find the video version of this podcast. We're also doing a new thing called Pixel Tunes Plays. Yes. Where we are currently playing on YouTube. And we are playing AM2R, the Metroid 2 re- fan remake. So hop online and go to YouTube.com forward slash Dongled to check that out. You could also go to iTunes and give us a rating. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. We want to hear from you guys. So definitely let us know there as well. And that's it. I think I got it. That's all I got, man. That's it, man. Cool. Well, we will see you guys back in two weeks for a very special episode where we talk about six tracks from each of us that we really love.
1: I'm looking forward to it.
0: Cool, man. All right. See you guys
1: in two weeks. Peace. Peace. This is super, um, Superman. This is Spider-Man, X-Men, Arcade's Revenge, like all over. (laughs) Shut up.
0: This is Superman, X-Men, Spider-Man's Revenge. Superman.
1: (laughs) In Barcade's Revenge. Yes.